Please turn in your Bibles to Acts 13. For the next few weeks, we'll be in the book of Acts, and here's why. So all four Gospels end with the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we celebrated last week uh, for Easter. But prior to his crucifixion, Jesus said this to his disciples. He promised them that after his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, that he would send the Holy Spirit to continue the work of ministry on the earth. And so Acts, the book of Acts, is the outworking of that promise to the disciples that they will be witnesses, that the gospel will spread through them. And as it spreads, it will break through all barriers, despite, at times, internal tension within the church and despite external opposition, persecution from outside the church that comes in, the gospel will continue to spread. And so Luke, who is the author of Acts, we can think of Acts as a continuation, in a sense, of his gospel. Acts chapter 1-8 lays out the flow of the book as Jesus tells his disciples but you will, be, or you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's in chapter 2. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's chapters 1 through 7. And in Judea and Samaria. As the gospel extends, we see that Acts chapter 8 through 12. And then to the end of the earth. And we see that in chapters 13 and on in Acts. And so for the next few weeks... What we'll focus on is that gospel breaking barriers and going out to the ends of the earth through the ministry of Paul from chapters 13, especially 13 and 17. And so what I want to do for the next few weeks is draw our attention to the power of the gospel, but also Paul's approach to the gospel and what we can learn from that. And so this morning we will take this up in chunks. Uh, so our first section that we'll read is starting in verse, uh, chapter, Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up, motioning with his hand, and said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this, the man's offspring, God raised 
or of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am unworthy to untie. And together the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let me pray for our time in the word. Father, thank you for this reading of the word. Thank you that your word is powerful. And I pray that you would help us this morning to be in awe of your gospel, that it breaks through all barriers. And so I pray that there would be no barriers in here with our hearts and our minds, that we would be receptive, overcome any resistance to your word, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. So the context of our, uh, of our passage this morning is important. In the beginning of chapter 13, we find that Paul and Barnabas have been set apart by the Holy Spirit to begin to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so, as their habit was, on the Sabbath day, Paul and Barnabas um, found themselves, uh, they, uh, they attended the local synagogue, and traditionally in a synagogue service, there would be the reading of the law, meaning the law of Moses, the first, uh, out of the first five books, of the Old Testament, there'd be a reading of the law and the prophets, along with the sermon. And so Luke tells us that after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers asked Paul and Barnabas if they had a word of exhortation for the people. Now it's likely that Paul was dressed as a rabbi. And so they asked him if he had a word of encouragement. And yes, indeed, Paul has a word of exhortation. But a quick flashback, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 24, do you recall that after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he appeared to some disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they were talking, and Jesus came alongside, but they didn't recognize who Jesus was. Jesus is what he's discussing. They said, oh, all the events surrounding Jesus, his death, we thought he was the one. We hoped he is the one. And Jesus, Luke tells us this, beginning with Moses, the law, and all the prophets, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus took what the disciples, like everything in the Old Testament, it's all about me. It all pointed to me. And what we see here is Paul is following in Jesus' footsteps, doing the similar thing. Like Jesus, Paul is about to play connect the dots, connecting the Old Testament to Jesus. Now, connect the dots, if you've ever had um, done that on a sheet of paper, you know, connect the dots on a piece of paper, a bunch of numbers that look random, like 1 through 116, and then you begin connecting them, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and by the time you're finished, it's like, wow, something comes alive. You know, it's, it's dolphins swimming together, an orca whale jumping out in the distance towards the sun, right? A, a picture comes to clear focus. This is what Paul's going to do. Paul is going to connect the dots through the Old Testament so that by the time he is done, his audience will have a clear picture of the person and work of Jesus. And so in verses 16 through 25, I want us to look 
at how Paul not only connects with his audience, but he connects the dots from the Old Testament to Jesus. Now, Paul gives an overview of the Old Testament, pretty much the entirety of it, in seven verses. But notice what I want to highlight in these seven verses is Paul is highlighting God's initiative of grace throughout the Old Testament, providing exactly what God's people need at the right time. And what he is building towards is the gift of grace that God provided in Jesus. So, verse 16, Paul, motioning with his hands, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The men of Israel would be the Jews. Those who fear God would be those who either have converted, uh, this would be Gentiles, non-Jews, Gentiles who have either converted to Judaism or, or are considering conversion to Judaism. It says, listen, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. So right here, Paul pretty much covers most of Genesis and Exodus. Right? This goes back to the promise that God made to Abraham, that from Abraham he would raise up a great nation. But we find later in the story, this great nation is enslaved in Egypt, but God delivers them through outstretched arm through the Red Sea. Right? And then, verse, uh, verse 18, And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. Now, that's putting it mildly. God continued to extend his grace to his people, though they grumbled repeatedly. But God extended grace through feeding them with manna, through providing water, like out of rocks, through providing for their clothes not to wear out, protecting them from their enemies. All the grace that they needed. And then in 19, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. So now Paul has moved all the way to the book of Joshua. Okay, so this is after destroying seven nations. These are nations that were wicked and sought to destroy the Israelites, but God protected his people, and he gave them the land as the inheritance. And that is a reference to the promise that God had given Abraham that he would provide a promised land of Canaan for his people. Verse 20, all this took about 450 years. So, Rough math, 400 years in Egypt, 40 years wandering in the wilderness, another 10 years to conquer the, ground, uh, conquer the land, 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. I want us to notice what Paul is going to do here. Paul is going to begin to lay out all of the saviors, lowercase s, that God raises up for his people. Okay, he begins with the judges. The judges in the period of God's people was a, a time of moral decline, where repeatedly in the book of Judges is the phrase, and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Right? And then towards the end of Judges, we have this refrain, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So the people desired this king because they wanted to be like the surrounding nations, and this was a rejection of God as their king. But again, God is gracious, has a plan. He actually provides a king for them. And we see this. They asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, 
a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. But Saul was not a righteous king. So then verse 23, or 22, And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he has testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So here's what Paul has done. Paul has connected the dots throughout the Old Testament, and he's connected them to David, but he's going to go on to connect them to the one who will come from David. And, and they would have been huge fans of David, right? But he's saying, but there's one greater. But there's one who is more superior than David. And so Paul has connected the dots to say, God has always been with his people at the right time. He gave them grace to Abraham. At the time, gave grace to Moses. At the time, through Joshua and Judges, gave grace to his people. But it's at this time. I love Galatians 4.4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. It's at this time Paul is saying, God has brought you a savior, capital S. And we see this in verse 23. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. As he promised. We could walk through all the promises and the prophecies of Jesus who would become the Messiah, who is the Messiah, but that would take us a very long time and you would grow hungry throughout the Old Testament. But then this. Paul ends this section speaking of John the Baptist, saying John the Baptist came, given a baptism of repentance Repentance to prepare your hearts and minds for the coming Messiah. He was preparing the way. And now, what Paul's going to do in this next section, he's going to get to the heart of the message. But before we get there, just I want to pause and ask a question here. If you had the opportunity to share the good news, to share the gospel with someone, what would you focus on? What would you say? I'll give you a few seconds just to think about that. If you had the opportunity to share the gospel, what would you focus on? So now in verses 26 through 41, I want us to look at how Paul approaches the gospel and, and, and what he and how he presents it. He begins, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who have come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. 
Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, as after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. So Paul says, he begins this, brothers, sons of Abraham, those who fear God. Notice Paul didn't say, idiots, you missed it. Now, this is a tone of intimacy. He's saying to us, God has brought this salvation. And what's the heart of this salvation? What's the heart of his message? Goes back to the question I asked, what would you share? What Paul focuses on is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the heart of Paul's focus. And Paul says to them, your rulers are the people at the time of Jesus. They missed it. They did not recognize Jesus for who he was because they did not understand every Sabbath in the synagogue, the readings of the scriptures that all pointed to him. And though Jesus had no guilt, Paul says, they crucified him. And then Paul says, when they took him down from the tree, that's a reference. When he says tree, that's a reference most likely to Deuteronomy 21. That's also later picked up in Galatians chapter 3. Cursed is anyone who dies on a tree, meaning it's the curse of sin. And that is what Jesus did on the cross, taking the curse of sin. But then... We see in verse 30 and 31, but God raised him from the, from the dead, the resurrection, and goes on to say, and many were witnesses to this fact. And then Paul says in verse 32, and we bring you this good news. Okay, this good news. So last week when Bill was preaching, he mentioned good news is meant to be declared. Good news is meant to be proclaimed. So let me just push that point a little further. I'll say it this way. Um, if KU announces a good next head football coach, that for me will be good news, and I will dance a jig because I love KU football and I am Irish, okay? But if you see me dancing a jig, what does that tell you? It doesn't actually tell you anything. You know, why is Donahoe dancing a jig? I don't know. But instead, I tell you, oh, there's this great guy coming to Lawrence, great coach, and here's why. It's proclaiming, it's explaining the good news. That's what Paul is doing. He is declaring, proclaiming this one who has come and why he is so great. And what he does is he, Paul goes on to quote three promises of the Old Testament. He lays out Psalm 2 where he says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now this psalm is all about the resurrected son of God and his rule over the nations. And this connects to this promise 
If you recall the promise from God to David, this covenant in 2 Samuel 7, where God made a covenant said, there will be one that comes from you, David, your offspring, who will sit as a king, be enthroned forever. That's the covenant promise. And then Paul quotes from Isaiah 55, says, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David, meaning those holy and sure blessings, they don't die off with David. They continue on. And then Psalm 16 says, you will not let your holy one see corruption, meaning bodily decay in the grave. The point that Paul is making is this, with all these Old Testament quotes, they all pointed to David, but pointed past David, that David was great, but he died and experienced bodily decay. But Jesus, after death, was resurrected, did not experience corruption, but rather through his death and resurrection, conquered sin and death. And Paul is saying, this is the king that you've been waiting for. This is the king that you actually need. Read with me verses 38 and 39. Paul says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Paul is saying, here it is. Here's the good news, and listen. Paul lays out life and death to the people who are listening to him. He says, what this king has to offer you is forgiveness and freedom. What he offers is forgiveness of your sins. What he offers is freedom out from under the burden of the law of Moses. Now, Paul is not trashing the Old Testament law. He's not trashing the law of Moses. That's not what he's doing. But what he's doing is saying, you have to be freed from the law. Because the law's purpose was to convict you of sin, to show you the fact that you are a lawbreaker. But the law never had the power to deal with sins, ultimately and eternally. The law was powerless to bring salvation. But Paul's saying, but one came, Christ. He is the one that through his death, he perfectly obeyed the law, died, making him the perfect sacrifice, and in his death, conquered sin and death. Paul's saying, he is your only hope of salvation. It is through Christ, this king, that you will receive forgiveness, that you will receive freedom. And then Paul gives a warning. It's from Habakkuk, the prophet, chapter 1, verses 5, where he says this, Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Essentially, Paul's saying this. Habakkuk was about the judgment of God for those who scoff. Paul is saying Look closely, at, look closely at what's happening here. Those who scoff at this message of salvation are rejecting God himself. At the heart of Paul's message is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
And then, let's look at the responses to this message. Paul's sermon has ended, and then let's look at 42 through 52. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews inside of the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So the response. Some begged to hear more. In verse 45, we see that uh, the next day, uh, or, or the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered, most likely meaning many more Gentiles were gathered this time. And again, think about it, the gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel going out to the ends of the earth. And then it says, look at how the Jews responded. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began reviling Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas, their response is to speak out boldly since, and say, since you have cast aside this good news, we'll take it to the Gentiles. And now Paul quotes from Isaiah 49. He says this, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And did you catch that language? To the ends of the earth. That's the same commission of Acts 1, that they would be his disciples to the ends of the earth. Some have recognized this or mentioned that this, is, uh, this verse is the great commission of the Old Testament. And this was always God's plan for the salvation through the Son of God would be extended throughout the whole earth to every tongue and tribe and nation. And look at the Gentiles' response in verse 48. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And, and, and then this, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. This idea of appointed in the Greek uh, could mean inscribed or enrolled. This could likely be a reference to the book of life that is mentioned throughout the scripture that has the name of all those who bow their knees and their hearts to the Savior. And then Luke tells us in 49 that the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. The Jews stirred up persecution, but Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off their sandals, essentially. And that is, uh, according to Jesus' instruction to them, just a, pu a public protest 
against those who would reject this good news. In the last verse, 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So, what can we learn here from this passage? The gospel will continue to spread through all barriers despite internal tension within the walls of a church and despite external opposition, despite persecution. And what we see from the book of Acts, when persecution hits, the, God, the gospel spreads uh, even more powerfully. We may not have, or you may not think you have the gift of evangelism, but this does not take us off the hook. We're all called to embrace the gospel, to embody it, to live it out, but to extend it, to proclaim it, to declare it. First Peter tells us always to be prepared to give the reason for the hope that we have. And I realize the word evangelism can evoke fear and guilt. So let me just use a metaphor that we're called to build bridges. We're called to build bridges. And, and here's, uh, here, here's what I mean. There's a creek um, that runs on the backside of our property. And, but in order to get to the other side of the creek, uh, you would normally get muddy or wet. So I decided to build a bridge, right? Uh, you know how I built a bridge? One plank at a time. And that's really what I, how I want to end this sermon is just to talk what does it look like for us to build bridges outside the doors of our church, even one plank at a time? Note, our church already has a number of bridges that have been built for outreach near and far into our community here in Lawrence, but even beyond with missions, just to name a few of them. We have Angel Tree. We have Alpha's, Alpha Children's Home. Insight Women's Center. We have VBS, especially as you remember last year uh, with front yard and backyard VBSs going to our neighbors. Right? We have missions trip for youth and for adults. We have Youth Thrive for foster. It's, it's uh, for foster youth. Big brothers and big sisters, opportunities to serve. And I know I'm leaving things out, but our church has built bridges to the community that we can take part in. But to be clear, we're never called just to rely on our church building the bridges. Each one of us, we're called to build bridges everywhere we go. To our work, to our schools, to our places of hobby, within our own homes at times. And how do you build a bridge? One plank at a time. I want to just offer quickly Four planks, and, and some of this um, I am just uh, giving you what my professor Jaron Barr is, the greatest evangelist I've ever met uh, in seminary, uh, some of his apologetics and outreach uh, class. He says this, when we, when we talk about uh, building bridges, the first plank that we would lay down, plank of perspective, plank of prayer, and by perspective meaning do we have compassion on those who are not Christians? They do not share our faith. 
Paul had compassion because he followed the Savior, Jesus, who had compassion. And you think about Jesus. Um, Jesus did not go to party with sinners, like, let's party. That, no. Jesus went to parties with sinners, and he went there on mission because he had compassion, because he came to seek and save the lost. And because of his compassion and his love, they welcomed him gladly. And for us, what does it look like for us to have that kind of compassion for others who do not know the Lord? The scriptures tell us that the non-Christian is not our enemy. It's Satan who is the enemy, who has blinded the eyes or the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4. The enemy is not the non-Christian. The enemy is Satan. And so for us to have compassion, recognizing it is Satan who seeks to deceive people to where they do not look at the glory of the cross. So the question is, who are we praying for? Who are you praying for? I have to ask myself that question. I have a prayer card with names on it. Otherwise, I'll neglect it. Who do we rub shoulders with that we're praying for? Next plank would be understanding. And this is understanding what we believe, right? Look at what Paul was able to do. In seven verses, pretty much work through, connect the dots of the whole Old Testament to Jesus. And so for us, do we know this book? Do we read it? Do we love it? Can we connect the dots to Jesus? You know, one of the things that I hope for my own life and for our college students over the years is really, to me, this concept of gospel jazz. Um, Gospel classical is knowing the exact notes of the gospel and come in contact with. He has already crossed over that bridge. He's already begun a work in their hearts and their minds It's where when we share the gospel, they will receive it. Now, from this passage and from other passages, we know some will scoff. Yes, some will want to hear more. That's great. But the hope is this, and this is our prayer, that as a result of the gospel, disciples will be formed and will be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let me pray to that end for us. So, Father... I do pray that you would help us to grasp the depth and the heart of your gospel, that we would recognize our forgiveness, that we would recognize the freedom that we have to live a life that is honoring to you, and that we would glory in that. In our prayer, Lord, I pray that we would build bridges, as that the bridges that we have built and ones that we will continue to build in the future as a church, that they would be effective means of us being salt and light in the community, both here in Lawrence and beyond. So help us. Help us to be strategic, but also as individuals, Lord, help us to build bridges. Help us to have the right perspective, as perspective of compassion. Help us to look around at our neighbor's and see with spiritual eyes the need for them to embrace Christ. And I pray that we would grow in our own understanding of the depth of the gospel. And that is you provide opportunities, and I pray that you would, that we would be able to clarify the truth and the beauty of
of you, Lord, and the scriptures, and also to be able to challenge people to embrace you, and that what would be true of us would be true of others, that we would be filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name.